I love to sit outside at night and look at the stars. My dad has this telescope where you can program in what star you want it to look at, and it'll move by itself to look at that star. I remember the, fir the first time I used that telescope, I found it in the basement and really wanted to use it, so I asked my dad if we could go outside. And it was a really cold winter's night. But despite that, we went outside, put our coats on, and set up the telescope. And we looked around at the sky and saw Orion. So we decided to test the telescope by putting in Betelgeuse, which is one of the stars in Orion. So we plugged in Betelgeuse into the little computer, and the telescope started to move. It started to make really weird groaning sounds. And the telescope, telescope started to move in the wrong direction. And then it started to point towards some trees. So figured the telescope wasn't quite working right. <laughs> but despite that, we could turn it to manual, so it was all right. And we ended up looking at the stars until my fingers were numb, my toes were numb, my nose was red, and we had to go inside. <laughs> now, this fascination with stars has only grown over the years. Nowadays, I use an app on my phone to go outside and look at stars, but it's still really nice to take the telescope out and look at them up close. Now, you might be wondering why I am talking about stars and about stargazing. Well, I want to talk to you about some stargazers in the Bible. I should call them professional stargazers, though, because they were a bit more advanced in the subject than I am. These were the wise men. They're also called magi. It is a common misconception that there were three wise men. We actually don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been three, but there could have been four or five or a whole group. One thing we do know is that they were astronomers, and they were scholars from the East. They studied the, the stars, but unlike my stargazing, they intently and consistently studied and charted them. They also studied manuscripts, all for the goal of learning the truth. The Christian author Ellen White goes into a little bit more detail about the wise men, telling us in the book, The Spirit of Prophecy, that the wise men were not Jews, but they had been waiting for the Messiah to come. They had read and studied the scriptures intensely. When they saw a new star appear in the sky, they knew that it had to be the sign they had read and waited for for so long. They decided to follow the star, hoping it would lead them to this newborn Messiah. This trip that they were about to take would be many months long, but they wanted to know the truth. Because of their thorough reading and studying of the Hebrew scriptures, the wise men gained a faith that made them strong. In fact, their faith outshined that of the majority of God's chosen people, the Jews. The wise men entered the city of Jerusalem. They expected to be full of excitement because of this new child king that had been born. But when they got there, it was quiet. They hoped that the teachers of the law and the priests would know where the child king had been born. Once they got there, though, the news spread quickly. You know how news gets around. Something interesting starts at one place, and soon everyone knows about it. Pretty soon it went even up to the king. 
Now, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and we'll read it together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So, when they asked King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? He was disturbed because of the news. Herod, who was the leader of God's chosen people, was disturbed of the, with the news that the Messiah had been born. Not only was Herod disturbed, but the people of Jerusalem with him. God's chosen people were unaware of Jesus' birth and when they learned of it, they didn't believe, or they didn't care. Herod was also jealous of this child being called King of the Jews. He didn't want competition. So, he decided he should take out this child and his family before they could lay claim to his throne. Obviously, Herod had the same misconception that most, Jewish, most of the Jewish population had at the time, that the Messiah would be a literal king and overthrow their Roman oppressors. Herod found out that Jesus had been born in, Jerusalem, uh, in Bethlehem and sent the wise men there, telling them to come back once they had found him so that he could go and worship. Of course, this was a lie. He just wanted to confirm that the child was there. One interesting thing to note is that the wise men would have been considered Gentiles or heathens. Yet, these men had a faith in the promise of Jesus' arrival unlike that of the so-called men of God, the chosen ones. This shows us that Jesus really did come to earth for people of all religions and backgrounds. He came down for people just like the wise men, people who were considered lesser. The fact that these Gentiles were the ones to inform the Jewish people of Jesus' birth and the ones who truly thought the moment was important shows that he didn't just come down to save the Jews. He came down for the Gentiles, the foreigners as well. Later in Jesus' life, we see that this is... A, is a hard pill for most of the Jews to swallow. I think the wise men were to be an example of how Jews and Gentiles alike could easily be used by God. After their meeting with Herod, the wise men continued on to Bethlehem, where they found the young child in a house with his mother and father. They bowed before the Messiah and presented three gifts of high value to them. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts were given in honor of the future king. The wise men were then met by an angel who warned them not to go back to Jerusalem and tell Herod about the Messiah. When Herod realized that the wise men weren't going to come back, he was furious. So he sent soldiers to Bethlehem to kill every 
male child under the age of two. Joseph, the father of Jesus, was also warned of the massacre by an angel and took his family to Egypt. The gifts that the wise men had brought were most likely used by Joseph during this time in Egypt to help support his family, a blessing that the Lord was able to bring upon them because of the wise men. The wise men were used by God for great things because of their faith and their curiosity. They took the time to study and really learn what the scripture had to say. The journey they went on in itself shows how great their faith really was. When we delve into the scriptures, we are able to see and rely on things that others cannot see. We need to be like the wise men, studying the Bible every day, learning from it, and sharing the knowledge that we gain with others. We need to know, we know of Jesus' second coming because we have studied the Bible, just like the wise men knew of his first. We need to let the world know of his second coming. We need to tell all about this great news. Even in the little things, you can share the good news, whether it be inviting someone to church, or helping out a family in need, or sharing the reason you celebrate Christmas with, with someone this season. Today, I want to challenge you that as you go about this Christmas holiday, that you remember to be like the wise men, sharing the truth that you have learned from the Bible with people who haven't yet heard. Good tidings, church. As Rachel said, the wise men followed the star and brought all sorts of gifts to Jesus. I personally wouldn't mind if anyone got me some of those same gifts, especially the gold. As nice as gold is, growing up, there was something I wanted even more. In my elementary days, I was considered to be, what some may say, a wild regret. You see, if a, if a tornado were to take a human form, that would be me. I'd be going around the house, knocking over furniture. I'd be ripping up the couches. Oh, and I broke the wall, not once, not twice, but three times. It was a nightmare for my parents to keep me under control, especially at church. You see, when I went to church, when parents saw me, they would take their kids away from me. That's how much of a ruckus I would cause. So, imagine the frustration when my baby brother came into the world. Let's just say the yelling and the screaming multiplied by a tenfold. There was one childhood toy that captured my heart above all the Power Rangers and the Hot Wheels. I loved Thomas the Tank Engine. I had a chest full of Thomas VHSs and eventually DVDs that I would watch over and over again. I'd spend hours watching Thomas the Tank Engine. I had Thomas the Tank Engine video games, air mattresses, blankets, onesies, backpacks, desks, and even Thomas humidifiers. Bet you didn't know they sell that. Anything Thomas I owned, I was infatuated with him and could never get enough. 
When my uncle moved into his new house, he found a model train set in his basement. It was complete with trees, a town, with cabooses, and all sorts of train cars. And it wasn't your ordinary, like, toddler train set, connect the pieces together. It was one of those models you see at the museums, all right? It was like a huge spectacle to me, because I've never seen anything like it. And I wanted to play with it so, so bad. My uncle and my dad told me that I could play with them and even keep the train set. I was ecstatic. This was like a dream come true. I can have my own model train set. It's, it's legit. The only thing that stood in my way was this one caveat. I could not play with the train set until the whole thing was moved into my house. You see, like any five-year-old boy who is in love with trains and Thomas the Tangent, I did what any other would do. I played with them. I mean, yeah. Lying on top of the table, I pushed a diesel locomotive up a hill until I hit a nail. You see, the, these small nails are put inside these model train tracks so that it would keep the train tracks in place. This is so that the train tracks won't move around and break off. And they're nailed into plywood, in, through the plywood, into the table. Now, because the train set needed to be moved, the nails weren't in through the tracks the whole way, so they were sticking up. So when I reached this road bump, and I'm sure all of you do this when you come to road bumps, I sped right through it. And it broke the track, and you'd think, hey, I would realize as a kid that I broke a toy, and I should probably stop, but I didn't. And I did this over and over again, and somewhere during that time, my ingenuity hit me and was like, hey, maybe I should take all the nails out. I take them out one by one by one, and soon have a massive nails at the side of the table. And I'm playing with the train, and slowly but surely, all the tracks begin to crack, and all I was left with was a pile of junk. And this was my parents' greatest fear. They didn't want me to play with the toys, because they knew that if I broke it, It'd be unfunctionable. It'd be just a piece of junk in the trash. When I finally realized my mistake, my parents and my uncle walked in. In a matter of seconds, my whole dream of a gift went into the trash. It was, the trash can was full of locomotives, figure people, buildings. As I watched them do it, I cried and cried and cried. I begged them, please, please, I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll obey next time. I promise I won't break the wall by kicking a soccer ball into it. I promise I won't jump on top of the car. I made all these promises, but in the end, they didn't let me keep the train set. I still had a small sliver of hope. I prayed that they would give me a Thomas the Tank Engine train set for Christmas. I prayed, I had that small sliver of hope, but as I begged them, they said no, that I disobeyed and I didn't deserve it. 
And it was true. I was disobedient. I caused a ruckus. And this hit me hard. Because I knew I wasn't worthy or obedient enough to deserve a gift. On that Christmas morning, after opening a slew of ties and shirts, which, by the way, is the worst gift you can give a kid, <laughs> there was one last gift for me. As I approached the Christmas tree, I saw a small rectangular box. And peeling back the wrapping, I saw something that surprised me. It was a brand new Thomas the Tank Engine toy. Gifts are beautiful. They can be a special token of gratitude from one person to another. They can be a show of affection. They can be a sign of forgiveness. In the case where I received a gift that I didn't deserve, gifts were a show of true grace and love. The wise men were stargazing, seeking God's gift to humanity. However, they weren't the only ones seeking the star that night. The Israelites have been in captivity for many years, under the Romans, under the Babylonians, under the Greeks. They prayed for the Messiah to deliver them from their captors. Even more so were they eager for the Savior to return Israel to its place as the greatest nation on earth. All walks of Israelite life, men and women, rich and poor, young and old, all hoped for the glory promised by the prophets. But as the years went on, hope began to fade. For those who, of you who would like to follow in your Bibles, we will be reading from Luke 2. On that fateful night, a light would be kindled. A light would change the world forever. The shepherds were taking care of their flocks. It was just another night in the fields, making sure the lambs were safe. All was still and all was quiet. Then a voice, a chorus, a song broke through the silent night and a bright host of angels appeared. The thunderous voices of splendor and glory frightened the shepherds. The universe's honors choir came upon them. However, that same angel who came and approached them said in verse 5, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Imagine this. The Messiah is being announced before lowly shepherds who are looked down upon by the rest of Jewish society. A savior whose coming was anticipated for generations and generations. A king whose birth was announced to them of all people. The angel, the angel says in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Good tidings. They rejoiced, they sang, they cried in joy. Their savior had come to them. The Messiah's birth would have been thought to be announced to all the priests, all the wealthy, but the Lord chose to reveal himself to them, just shepherds who tended the animals. They followed the same star as the wise men. Traveling to Bethlehem, they searched from house to house until they arrived 
at a barn. Finding the baby lying in a manger, they worshipped the newborn king. The shepherds have found the good shepherd. The caretakers of the lambs have found the beautiful lamb of God. This gift that they have been seeking and waiting for had finally come. They knelt before a baby, a baby that the wise men would kneel to, a baby that would heal the lame, sick, blind, and deaf, a baby that would turn the Jewish religion upside down, a baby that would grow up to lay its life for them, a baby that would not only save mankind, but grant eternal life to all who seeked him and his kingdom first, just as the shepherds did. The same shepherds who chose to find him in his stable. The good shepherd protects all who hear his voice and come to worship him, regardless of role, social status, or wealth. This is one of the many beauties of Christ's birth. Jesus came for you and me, just as he came for both the rich and poor. There is no segregation or separation in God's plan of total salvation to save his disobedient and sinful children. This is good tidings. Come as you are and worship the king. Humble thyself, just as both the wise men and the shepherds did. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they have heard and seen as it was told them. The men who came from the pastures became pastors themselves. This gift was meant for all. I didn't deserve a Thomas toy training, but because of my parents' grace, I was given the gift I yearned for. No one deserves the gift of life. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But God's grace provides us a way to be forgiven through his son and in turn, live with him for eternity. Both groups of believers rejoice at the coming of the Savior, the undeserved but wonderful gift. Christ came into this world to reach out and save the shepherds and the wise men, and everybody outside and in between, a gift meant for all. Let us spread love and good tidings, young or old, rich or poor, let us all rejoice with the shepherds in Christ's first coming, and continually rejoice as we await for his return.